without that curious piece, like, huh, what went wrong? What can I do differently? How can I prepare differently? Then it's just, it is just B, like, or it is just a disappointing race. It is just that, like, you're not letting it be more than that. I mean, I've been in this sport for 27 years. I've raced like 350 races probably. And I think without that curiosity of changing things or adapting or new challenges, I wouldn't still be in it. This is Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come. Choose to be curious with us. Almost 15 years ago, Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein's multi-million copy New York Times bestselling book, Nudge, Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness, took the decision-making world by storm. Thaler and Sustine showed that no choice is ever actually presented in a neutral way. And we're all very susceptible to biases that can lead us to make bad decisions. But by knowing how people think, we can use choice architecture to nudge people and ourselves toward better decisions. One of the things that really stuck in my mind was the importance of simple literal placement that putting frosted cake up high at the end of the cafeteria line, above the eyes and basically out of reach, while the fresh fruit is enticingly up first, up front, close at hand, can make a huge difference in what people decide to eat. Get me to make an easy, right choice early before I'm even confronted by the temptation of a not-so-good choice, and I'll just do it. So when I was looking around for research related to today's topic, I thought about Thaler and Sunstein and more recent research that builds on their foundation, especially work done by Evan Pullman and his collaborators. Thaler and Sunstein talk about nudges. Pullman talks about curiosity lures. Pullman and his colleagues created curiosity lures, incentives that pique people's curiosity and help them choose the should option over the want option. For instance, they report a 9.8% increase in stairwell use and a 10% increase in fruit and vegetable purchases when they tested curiosity lures in large-scale field experiments with over 100,000 observations. As they put it, the research, quote, provides evidence that a nudge based on satisfying curiosity has the potential to increase participation in desirable behaviors for people who often lack motivation, thereby facilitating a wide range of desirable behaviors at a small cost. Think of all the instances in our lives where we confront wants versus shoulds. How might a reframing with curiosity help us make better choices day to day? What would be different if we really had a handle on that power? And what are all the ways it might be useful, say, for an athlete in training. I'm guessing Addie Bracey has some thoughts about this. Addie is a professional ultra trail runner, coach, and sports psychology consultant. She helps athletes of all ages and abilities to prepare for the mental demands of competing. Addie was an elite college athlete and since graduating has qualified for three Olympic trials, twice in a marathon and once in the 10,000 meter won three USA track and field national championships and been selected to compete internationally on 10 USA teams. Eventually, she got interested in mountain and ultra running, 
That's races longer than a marathon. In 2017, she was a scoring member of the Team USA's gold medal team at the World Championships for mountain running. Her 2021 book, Mental Training for Ultra Running, is a deep dive into what I think is her real passion, mental performance coaching. Armed with a master's in sports psychology, for the last 10 years, Addie's been focusing on helping others achieve their performance goals, grounding her coaching in, you guessed it, curiosity. I'm delighted to have Addie Bracey join me today. So welcome, Addie. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's wonderful to have you. So when did you first start thinking about curiosity in running? Um, you know, I probably always, I think uh, I started <laughs> quite young. I was, I remember my, my dad was a big runner. That's kind of how I got into it. And I just remember him. He was always training when I was very young, like five or six. And we would go to the track and I would see him running laps around the track. And just at some point, someday I was like, I wonder if I could run a lap around the track. So I ran like a lap around the track. And then, you know, that kind of graduated to maybe I could run a lap around the neighborhood. And then I ran a lap around the neighborhood. And yeah, I think that that's kind of always been what's led my career to be as long as it has, is I always said, I just want to see what I can do. And when I feel like I've fulfilled that, I'll stop. And it's been 25 years and I haven't stopped yet. So I think I'm still kind of asking myself, like, what, you know, what can I do or what's possible? Or can I run that far? Or can I run that high or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be with the race. Nice. You know, what caught my eye was actually an article that you wrote in Trail Runner magazine, where you talked about approaching a challenge with curiosity helps to create a healthy relationship with vulnerability and that that's something that's required for doing hard things. And I thought, oh, wow, I must talk to this woman. So tell me more about that. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually had this exact conversation with an athlete I work with yesterday. Um, she's training for a 240 mile race, which that's even uh, hard for me to comprehend. That's like five <laughs> days. Like I can't even wrap my head around that. And wow. earlier in the conversation, we were kind of talking about her values and she identified courage as being one of her values. It's something she wants to exude and exemplify. And then later in the conversation, when we were talking about maybe what was scary to her about this challenge, she said, the unknown of going that far. And I kind of offered the suggestion of, yes, and you can't be courageous without there being an unknown, you know, that they like would cancel each other out. Like that's kind of a requirement. They're two sides of the same coin. So, you know, I think there is a required vulnerability because that's another piece of like, I'm still willing to put myself out there, even if I don't know what's out there, you know, what's going to happen or what I'm going to confront. And I think it's sometimes easy to miss those things. And it's not, you know, you don't have to not be afraid of the unknown or you don't have to not be aware of it. But to have that, you have to have the courage and the vulnerability and that you also have to have, yeah, the willingness to take on the unknown, which is where I think the curiosity piece comes to mind. I think curiosity is sometimes a nice way to frame I don't know, <laughs> you know, and instead of that being scary, being like, but I'm going to try to find out and let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you actually have have kind of built it out in terms of thinking of curiosity as a performance enhancer. And you had a couple of areas, particularly that I thought, each one I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, she's, this is a really good point. For instance, let's just start with open-mindedness. It's sort of a good segue, I think, from what we were just talking about. How do you see that in in this context? How does being open-minded actually enhance performance? I mean, I think people think, ooh, must be really focused, laser sharp. And that feels like there must attention. Yes? No? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I remember doing some some research um, for my book, which is where I probably got mostly uh, inspired by this idea of curiosity. But, you know, one of one of the big tenets, I guess, of it is that when you're curious, you you have more of like a beginner's mind or you have more of an open mind. And, you know, you're considering when you're curious, you're considering all the different possibilities. And that's incredibly helpful when you're preparing for the kinds of races that I and my athletes do, because, you know, we're not doing anything like that in training. So you really have no idea. And I think if you're not dipping into curiosity, you kind of inherently and maybe even sub- subconsciously run the risk of kind of having this narrow expectation or you haven't considered all the different possibilities. And then, you know, when you're in the moment and something happens that you didn't think about, that's really terrifying. But, you know, when you're curious, I think that forces you to like explore how could this go? Like, what are all the different ways this could play out? And that's that gets good preparation. I mean, it can be also maybe anxiety inducing when you consider like, oh my gosh, there's like a lot of things that could go wrong. But, you know, the curiosity piece, again, I think does reframe that into like, let's go explore. Let's just go on this adventure and kind of see. Okay. So I have to take a little side journey here too. Like what do these adventures actually look like? I mean, what kind of distances do you run? What's the terrain? Help people who haven't yet run around the block, maybe understand what it is that you do. So yeah, so I myself compete in mostly ultra distances, which as you mentioned, is anything longer than a marathon and mostly mountain and trail. And then most of the people I work with just because of my own expertise tend to do the same. And so that could look like, you know, some of the biggest races, you know, go through the mountain, most go through like the mountains, you know, you're covering 30, 50, 60, hundred, 200 miles, which can often take days. So you're running through a day, through a night, just continuously, not, not, you're not stopping and showering and getting a good night's sleep. <laughs> well, so, so the longer the race, there are options to, there's, there's a, a, a cutoff time for the entire race that you have to meet these certain checkpoints to continue, but they uh, are often the longer the race is once you get maybe to hundred miles and up built in to where you could take a nap. I, I don't usually do that, but you could choose to do that and build that time in. But for the most part, you know, those stops are 30 minutes or 40 minutes. They're not long enough. You're not getting a, a, a night's sleep. That's not a night's sleep. No. So um, what's the longest race that you've that you've run? Um, the longest one I've done was 100 miles, but it was actually like 104 miles because I remember that really bothered me when I was like, wait, but I already hit, already hit 100 miles. Why am I not at the finish line yet? <laughs> so it took me about 20, 20 hours. Um, wow. went, through the, went through the night. Um, so, so, you know, the longest training run that these people are doing even myself, you know, running professionally is maybe a third of the distance of what the race is. So by the time you get to the race, the list of unknowns and things you haven't experienced recently in training is a lot longer than the list that you have, which is why I think the curiosity piece and the open-minded piece is so important for our sport. So, I mean, another one of the benefits that you have written about is separation of ego. And and you were just talking about sort of what the journey and the process and learning from experiences that actually are a little comparable, but not totally comparable to what you're about to try. Talk about that. It's really, a, that's a, a remarkable, I mean, the threefold difference is a big difference. Yeah. I, you know, I think one of my favorite things about this sport and maybe a piece of what you're asking with the separation of the ego is you absolutely like 
literally can't do the sport by yourself. Like you have to have help. You have to have what we call a crew, you know, people that are meeting you along the checkpoints and giving you food and people that are running with you through certain points that are maybe dangerous or like during the night. And so I, you know, when I think about separation of ego, I'm like, gosh, I've had some of my lowest moments out there with someone helping me, you know, where I'm like sitting on a rock crying, like, I don't know if I can finish this, like in the middle of the night or, you know, vomiting or, you know, whatever. And so I think there's a piece of that of, again, vulnerability, I guess, and like a willingness to put yourself in a position to maybe be pushed to your lowest, but also to ask for help and have people there with you. I also think, you know, the separation of ego piece for me, especially coming from, I did my first ultra race, ultra distance race when I was maybe 32 or 33. So I had already been in the sport for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and when I would race on the track, you know, much more shorter, predictable distances, I already had a pretty good idea of like how the race was going to go. And with these races, you just never know. In every race, I'm doing something I've never done before. And so it was actually maybe the biggest challenge for me was to separate the the attachment to the outcome and just be there for like the experience and um, be open to what was going to happen and not be so tied to how I thought it should go. I think that's, again, a required part of, of the sport. You're listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. I'm joined today by Addie Bracey, professional ultra trail runner, coach, and sports psychology consultant. We're talking about how curiosity enhances athletes' performance. I think it was in the when you were talking about separation of ego, you also talked about perceiving failure as feedback and sort of letting go of oh no, I'm good at this. Like I've, I've been on national and world teams. Like I'm, I'm really good at this and letting go of that and embracing the failure as a learning opportunity. There's a good curiosity practice. Holy cow. Yeah. It's not a, it's not often like the most fun one. I was, you know, I can reflect on some races that have gone so poorly where I just was like, I don't even want to look at the results. I don't even want to talk about it. Don't even ever bring that race up to me. And that's kind of unfortunate, you know, because uh, there was a time in, in my career when I first moved to trails and, and running these longer distances where I was really successful right away. And it actually got me to a really dangerous spot where I was like, cool, I got this figured out. Like, this is pretty, this is, I got this unlock. And then all of a sudden, you know, like the, the little tower comes crumbling down and I'm like, oh gosh, I didn't have it all figured out. Um, you know, in the, the races that don't go well and that, you know, you could replace races with anything. Um, I had an athlete phrase it this way, so I can't take credit for it, but I really like this, this visual of, she kind of describes performances. So that's maybe more a general word that could apply to anything as essentially like a hypothesis. Like I'm going to test this hypothesis with everything that I know. And I think, I think this is going to work, but if it doesn't work, like why miss the opportunity to go back and see like, okay, like what variables do I need to change? Like which ones were there that shouldn't have been there? Or which ones was I missing? And that to me keeps it fun and keeps it like, I'm trying to figure this out versus testing myself or, you know, making it about me or again, the ego attachment. Like I just wasn't good enough when that's very rarely like what went wrong. Usually there is something that you can find that was like, this is the piece that I messed up. And to me, that's way better. I mean, that also goes to what you talk about in terms of challenging beliefs, right? Sort of this constant learning, adapting, growing, that if you if you got stuck in that mindset of, hey, I got this, you would pretty quickly no longer have it. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. You also write that curiosity makes you happier. How does it do that? 
I mean, just back to maybe what I even said, you know, I think like without that curious piece, like, huh, what went wrong? What can I do differently? How can I prepare differently? Then it's just, it is just be like, or it is just a disappointing race. It is just that, like, you're not letting it be more than that. Um, and I think that if I wasn't curious about how I could continue to, I don't even want to say necessarily improve because I don't think that's my goal. I think my goal is to keep having certain kinds of experiences. I don't think I would, I mean, I've been in this sport for 27 years. I've raced like 350 races probably. And I think without that curiosity of changing things or adapting or new challenges, I wouldn't still be in it. Um, so to me, it is just more fun. It is a, a happier is, is a good word for it, but just like it keeps me seeking and growing and wanting to keep learning instead of maybe kind of just settling in. I also really like, I like the lesson for all of us that happiness comes with some separation of ego, <laughs> with some letting go. I think that's a lovely reminder to all of us. And it speaks to some of what you've also written about in terms of self-awareness and being sort of this foundation of performance excellence and sort of a continuous improvement, I guess, refinement. And you you made a really interesting observation that kind of had me stop and thinking a lot, where you said that self-awareness is a byproduct of curiosity. Is that all of these things that we've just been talking about, or is there something else in that? With the self-awareness piece? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the way that I think that if I had to identify one, this is the most important, if you want to call it mental skill or way of thinking. I mean, self-awareness is like, to me, the, is the foundation. It's the biggest piece. We have this, I call it like a human superpower, you know, like as a species where we have that ability, like self-awareness is an incredible superpower because that means I can pause and analyze like, wait, why did I just act? Why did I just do that? Or why did I just make that decision? Like what led to that? I don't, that's not actually the decision I want to make, you know, in those instances or, um, you know, the, the power to think ahead and imagine different scenarios or, you know, be curious or all those things is like, that's something that we've developed, you know, as a species to be able to plan, to be able to consider, um, you know, my dog doesn't do that. He doesn't have that ability. And so I think, yeah, there's times when that falls into anxiety and worry and depression and like things that are very harmful and unproductive. But, you know, when kind of harnessed, it's also like, gosh, what an, what an opportunity, you know, to be able to be intentional about my life or intentional about my decision making. Yeah. Yeah. So what would a curiosity lure look like in your line of work? I mean, how might you as a coach use curiosity to kind of motivate the people that you're working with? Maybe this, I don't know if this is like a cop-out answer, but I almost think that the, the sport of ultra running is a curiosity lure. Like I think it attracts people that are, are, I don't think you're lining up for these events. I don't even want to call them races because most people aren't thinking of them as races. I think that it already is. And I also believe that's maybe why I love the community and the people so much because it in and of itself is like, you know, you, you sign up for a hundred mile race saying, I wonder if I can run that far, you know, that, that's, it already is that. So I don't know if that, again, is that's a cop-out, but I think that's why I love the sport so much. I don't think that's a cop-out at all. I mean, I think that's, um, that, that makes sense to me. I think there are things that sort of attract people 
who are sort of curious by nature, maybe about their own limits, but also about the literal terrain around them. I mean, you can't go through those places without gaining some appreciation of what you're running through, right? It's not just your body, but it's your body in this space. Do you think you use curiosity when people that you're working with are sort of juggling between the shoulds and the wants? You know, I'm just thinking about this research about separating out athletes, I think, are, in my mind anyway, a great example of people who have figured out how to want the shoulds. (laughs) And I'm wondering at this intersection, just wondering what you think about it. Do you mean like in kind of in terms of like the lifestyle and decision making and yeah, it, it takes yeah, to prepare like, for some of these things? Yeah, like making the choice about, you know, the demands of training or or the choices of equipment or even just the decision to kind of get in the mental game. I mean, I've heard some of your work elsewhere talking about you know, it was kind of a new thing for people to think in terms of having somebody who was a, a psychologist or somebody who was really thinking about mental performance. It was always about sort of the physicality of it. But I can't, I mean, from my bit of remove from this, I can't imagine doing this stuff without somebody helping you <laughs> get into the mental game. And so I'm wondering, like, oh, what does that look like? And you bring curiosity to it. So what does that look like? Yeah, that's all a good question. I mean, I do, of course, I, I think that um, there's, there is something motivating about setting a scary goal and knowing like, okay, I've got 20 weeks to prepare for this that does make it maybe, I don't want to say easier, but maybe a little more at stake to make the decision between the should and the want, you know, and I, I, I think that's, I coach a wide variety of people. And so, you know, it really depends on the person. I, I've reflected myself that I started training when I was 11. So I've never lived a life where I didn't go for the run. That's just been ingrained in me for so long that it's not a hard decision for me because it's not a decision. And I think that at times has maybe honestly been like a barrier to me to understanding like people skipping the training or deciding, yeah, to do the want instead of the should. But I also think that if I, one of the biggest reasons why people come to a coach or, you know, someone like me to help them is number one, like the accountability on those decision-making things. And, you know, if you have a, if you have a goal, it's a lot, it's a lot easier. I've even said before, I don't know if this is like a bad thing to say, but I'm curious what my active lifestyle would be if I didn't have things on my calendar that I was preparing for, because I don't look at it as like, Oh, I got to like train today. I look at it as like, okay, I got 10 weeks until this race. I'm I'm excited about it. I got to like prepare, like, where should I go do my training today? That's similar. Like it feels more like you're moving towards something versus just like checking a box of this thing I have to do today. So I think that's one piece. I love having a goal as a curiosity practice. I don't think people think in those terms, mm-hmm. but having something that's sort of, you know, attracting you and at, at a distance and points along the way that are like, well, how can I do this? And what would move me there and get me there? That's a lovely way of thinking about it, actually. Yeah, that's that's how I think about it. You know, here's the thing and let's work backwards. And so what does that look like today, you know, to be one step more prepared for this thing that you've decided to take on? Very nice. Very nice. I love this. I love this. Thank you. So before I let you go, 
Are you game for my big jar of wannabe analogies? Sure. Okay. Okay. So here it is. Literal big jar. I have slips of paper. Whoops. Coming apart in here. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity. One for you, one for me, one for the audience. Okay. Yours is jam. How is curiosity like jam? Mine is a raincoat and I have one for our audience. Do you want to go first or you want me to give it a try first? Maybe you give it a try first. <laughs> okay. The um, hmm. How is curiosity like a raincoat? Um, I'm going to say that curiosity is like a raincoat um, because it's something we can put on when we're going out into the elements, when we're going into something that people often think of as undesirable. Um, and it's a way of being prepared for whatever it is that's coming. So you put on your curiosity the way you put on your raincoat and you're up for whatever the weather may be, proverbial or otherwise. So that's how curiosity is like a raincoat. How is curiosity like jam? Hmm. I think my initial thought is like, okay, when you first think of jam, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. You just like put it on toast. But then when you, I guess, zoom out or open your mind, I'm like, actually jam goes really well on a lot of things. Like sometimes on savory things, like sometimes my mom makes like cool different jams and stuff to go on like meat she cooks or, you know, like fig jam on like a sandwich or a burger. So it's actually mm -hmm. a lot more versatile maybe than, or a lot more appropriate in a lot of different recipes than it initially seems like it is. I like it. I like it. I'd be curious about all the places we put jam. I happen to love fig jam. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And audience, yours is stuffed animal. How is curiosity like a stuffed animal? Let me know. Social media, hashtag analogy. Well, Addie, thank you so much for this. This was a lot of fun. And um, congratulations on all of your previous accomplishments, but also for the new enterprises in the years ahead. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Thanks for joining us here today. You can find all my shows on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you follow me here, there, and on social media at Choose to be Curious, where you can share your stuffed animal analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Addie Bracey. Links to her and her book on my website, along with links to Pullman's research, of course. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme music. And this is Glass Runner by Marble Run via Blue Dot Sessions. I loved Addie's frame of having a goal as a curiosity lure in and of itself. What a great way to think about incremental curiosity in service of something larger that we really want. I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. Mm -hmm.